Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have your stool ready for you, and we've got good, bad, and crazy martinis. The good news keeps coming from the polls, Jim. We'll see if those polls actually influence whether or not any of this actually happens. But Americans are souring on the Democrats' big spending efforts. Now, as we just heard from the CBS News reporter uh, who Nancy Pelosi asked to sell the bill uh, yesterday, uh, it's not clear how much most people know what's in the bill. But I think when they see how much prices are already going up with inflation and and so forth, a whole lot more spending is certainly not what they want. But uh, CNN has actually pulled this out, and it's not numbers for the most part, that the Democrats are going to like. Um, First of all, uh, would you want to pass a bill that enacts all of the proposed social safety net and climate change policies? Only 41% say yes. 30% want to pass a bill that enacts fewer of those policies and costs less money, and 29% don't want to pass anything. That's where I certainly am. I think you are probably too. Uh, Next, uh, from what you know about the two bills, Do you think, and your family would in general, be better off, worse off, or about the same if they became law? Only 25% say better off, 32% say worse off, and 43% say say about the same. And uh, they talked to just Democrats, including Democratic-leading independents. Um, Which side of the Democratic Party do you think is doing more to help the Democratic Party? Jim, it's gloriously split right down the middle. 49% side with the progressives. 51% 51% uh, with the moderates, and so um, plenty to uh, plenty to chew on there. Hopefully that impasse stays. Kudos also to the Republican Study Committee for uh, putting out a long series of tweets yesterday talking about the different ways that this legislation would actually hurt American families. We had uh, suggested that in passing on a podcast a number of weeks ago. They put out dozens of these things, everything from uh, free college for illegal immigrants to uh, taxpayer-funded abortion, as it currently stands, although Manchin says that he would not do that. We've talked about the IRS spying on any transaction above $600 in an account that has at least $600. Uh, radical climate change policies, you know, slush funds for left-leaning lobbyists, uh, bringing back the death tax to kill small businesses and family farms. I mean, just go to um, Republican study, twitter.com slash Republican study to see the whole list. But uh, Jim, good for the Republicans finally getting the details out there and good for the American people for waking up and seeing this is not uh, the Shangri-La that the Democrats have been promising. Indeed, Greg. And you can kind of sense this sense of confusion amongst Democrats, both on Capitol Hill and just generally your, you know, your average progressive writer or columnist, talking head, or just, you know, social media activist, this sense of disorientation, this, this you know, set of confusion, and, you know, I guess probably five stages of, of Kubler-Roth, Ross, uh, and, you know, bargaining and, and all that stuff. Like, how, how could people not want this? How could people not believe that what we're going to do is going to help them? The Democrats, by and large, don't like to think about the times and places government does not work. You don't see them dwelling on the veterans who did not get care at the VA. You don't like to see them dwelling on healthcare.gov. It's always, oh, it's a little snafu. Oh, you know, that stuff goes away. You can go back to the Great Society. 
And the message of Democrats year after year, generation after generation is this government program is going to help you. This government program is going to transform your life. This government program is going to make you make your life easier and better and more fulfilling. And you're going to feel great. And a lot of, you know, for some people, you know, obviously some of these programs have some, their supporters, but a lot of people hear that, vote for it, see it get passed, see it get enacted, see the tax increases that are necessary to pay for it go into place. And it doesn't really improve their lives. They don't feel like it's all that much of an improvement. That was a big driving force behind the Reagan revolution, but it goes all the way up through Obamacare. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. And lo and behold, they couldn't, right? So they've built in this cynicism. They've built in this sense that when a Democrat is telling them how great something is going to be, thankfully, a lot of us, you know, read the fine print. And even the people who don't read the fine print totally buy into this idea that the government's going to pass this program and they're going to feel this great change in their lives and suddenly things are going to be better and easier or something like that. I think a lot of, you know, people just have this, you know, knee-jerk, instinctive, wariness or maybe even cynicism that, yeah, they're going to pass it, but somebody else is really going to be the benefit. It's not going to help somebody like me. And in some cases they're correct because of income levels. And in some cases they're correct because of, um, I guess probably the easiest way to characterize it is they've largely tuned out of the system, right? I mean, the, the homeless guy on the corner doesn't just need a government program. He probably needs a mental health program. He probably may need a drug addiction or other kind of addiction program. He needs a place to stay. He needs a job. He needs a support network. There's all kinds of, you know, that guy in the corner has got a lot of problems and it's not going to be, he is not one more spending bill away from having his life put together. He needs a lot. And I think you and I would agree and a lot of our listeners would agree. There's probably not a single government program that can fix that. It's going to need a whole bunch of and probably nonprofit groups, religious organizations, other ones can step in and play roles the government isn't that good at. So what they're seeing in this poll is that Americans just say, they, look, we've had a lot of promises over the years. We've had a lot of promises broken over the years. So people aren't just willing to, you know, say, oh, believe the next politician who comes along and says, look, I've got a plan for an enormous amount of new spending. It's going to make your life better. People look at that and say, you know what, somebody, look, somebody's going to benefit. Somebody's going to see all that cash coming their way, but it's probably not going to be me and I'm not going to be that supportive of this legislation. And, uh, you know, for once, uh, cynicism is on our side, Greg. All right. Let's talk about something uh, very, very good in addition to that. And that is the fact that Jim is still loving to go to work every day in his X chair. Right, Jim? It does. And yes, it sounds like something out of the X-Men that perhaps... Professor Charles Xavier would be rolling around in, but no, it's just like just the most state-of-the-art office desk chair you could imagine. Yes, it's got the bells and whistles. It's got the heater. It's got the massager. It's got the cooler. It's got everything easily recharges. It's just, you know, terrific. But I think just, you know, more and more, you know, again, you're going to spend a lot of time at work. You're going to spend a lot of time at your desk. You, you don't really have a choice about that. So, um, or, or, you know, if you, you, you maybe you try to get yourself a standing desk. I remember going to a Republican convention and somebody had rigged up a desk type thing to a treadmill. And, and if that's if that floats your boat, great. But chances are you're going to be sitting. So the question is, how can you sit for long periods of time, get your work done, not result in back pain, not result in shoulder pain, any of the neck issues, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think everybody's experienced that thing where you sit in a chair that's not usually your chair. Maybe you've been sitting on a car ride for a long time or pandemic occurred and you're working at the kitchen table instead of your usual desk and you're you know all of a sudden that wooden chair that is not designed to have you sitting in it for multiple hours at a time all of a sudden you're like oh god my back what you know 
with the X chair, you're never going to have that. In fact, your chair, your back is always going to feel terrific. It's just like I said, it's got every option you could possibly want. And it just, the other thing is that once you've got that, you just kind of have this, oh, okay, I don't mind sitting at my desk. I don't, I don't, you, you look forward to work. It helps if you, you know, enjoy what you do. I love writing what I write. I love talking with Greg, you know, kind of stuff. But, you know, again, work stops feeling like work when you've got this really comfortable place to sit and you just feel you can handle anything that comes your way. So, again, can't recommend it enough. Go get yourself an X chair and you can thank me later. LMX massage, the dynamic variable lumbar uh, temperature change. I mean, it's just fantastic. So try the X chair for yourself, risk-free for 30 days. Go to xchairmartini.com now. That's the letter X, chair, M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase of the X chair for as little as $30 per month xchairmartini.com. All right, Jim, one of the uh, items on the Republican Study Committee uh, nightmare list of what's in this uh, reconciliation bill includes killing more than 100,000 energy jobs because the bill prohibits several mineral and energy withdrawals. And on and on and on, it talks about how basically the uh, Biden administration is declaring war against domestic energy, which we saw pretty much on day one when he canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. He's basically declared war on fossil fuels. We're going to get to electric vehicles, you know, as super quick as possible. Uh, He's got his carbon agenda. He wants to get the climate treaty going again. In fact, he signed back onto it. But reality, once again, smacking Joe Biden in the face. And he's shocked, Jim, that... uh, you know, people are going to be paying higher prices because of his policies. We're already seeing it at the gas pump. That's another reason people probably uh, don't like the agenda that he's on. Uh, the Associated Press reporting yesterday that heating fuel is going to be much more expensive this year. In fact, it expects households to see their heating bills jump as much as 54 percent compared to last winter. Saw another stat that uh, gas prices compared to a year ago, 42 a percent higher. And now the AP reporting the White House has been speaking with U.S. oil and gas producers in recent days about helping to bring down rising fuel costs, according to two sources familiar with the matter. Energy costs are rising worldwide, in some cases leading to shortages in major economies like China and India. In the United States, the average retail cost of a gallon of gas is at a seven-year high, and winter fuel costs are expected to surge. So, Jim, when you declare war on the abundant, inexpensive energy it gets more expensive and people's bills get higher. How do these people not understand that? Greg, one of the things that jumps out is how quickly it feels like the circumstances of energy prices, gasoline prices, and all the different ways we use energy to run our lives. It, it didn't change quite overnight, but it did change really quickly. And you know, it was just a few years ago, we were celebrating, oh my goodness, the Ameri- United States is now an energy exporter. Right. We are we are on our oil independent fracking, the revolution, like all of a sudden we had become uh, no longer dependent on, you know, really lousy countries like, you know, uh, Russia, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, all these other countries where we don't like being dependent upon them. This this lowers our amount of leverage. The more they can say, yeah, we're not going to do what you want us to do because you need our energy. You need our oil. And we're going to, you know, we're going to enjoy having this leverage over you. All of a sudden. The world doesn't have anywhere nearly enough energy. My suspicion is it sounds like we've gone, they tried to transition to uh, carbon neutral or carbon reducing and, you know, and more cleaner energy too much too fast. And they did basically, they did not calculate how much they were going to need for their demand, particularly as we come out of a pandemic and people start, re, you know, resuming their, uh, 
uh, normal economic activity, travel, things like that. Just go through these headlines because my God, it's kind of you know really un unnerving. Uh, CBS Market Watch: Energy crisis. What what experts are saying is the world faces historic energy price crunch. Right. Um, IEA: What's behind soaring energy prices and what comes next? Axios: Global energy crisis could dim climate hopes. Um, you know, Washington Post: Energy price crisis cuts across sectors and boundaries. Uh, I mean, you just go down. Every major news organization in the world has said, "Oh my goodness, why why are energy prices so high? Electricity prices, gas prices, all these. What we know? What can we do about this?" Well, the, the message for President Biden is: you cannot berate your way to high, lower energy costs. You cannot yell at companies and say, "Bring down the prices." Four or five days ago, man, um, and expect things to get better. Do you know what brings down prices? Greater supplies. Greater supplies, competition for customers. That's what makes companies bring down their energy prices. And if you cut down supply, prices go up. Demand is going to go up. That's just you know, baked in the cake. You, you, you know, we can try, oh, I'm going to have more energy efficient vehicles and tell people to turn their thermostat up. and stuff. That's not going to change the fact the world population is growing. Energy markets are international. And people desperately need this stuff. And instead... Our administration, we have an administration that shut down the Keystone pipeline, shut down fracking on public lands, doesn't want us to build these pipelines. Actually, I stand corrected, uh, Greg. When I say the administration doesn't want people to build pipelines, they're okay with Nord Stream 2. Um, they're <laughs> right. perfectly fine if, if Europe becomes more dependent on Russian energy. But uh, everybody else, no, 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 you can't have nearly as much energy. Um, it's just a, it, the consequences of a wrongheaded, unrealistic policy are catching up with them. Every time prices go up, you know the, the you know you have some democratic politician who screams and yells that this is hoarding or this is uh, price fixing, and they investigate it. And every single time the Department of Energy investigates, it says nope, nope, demand was up, supply was down. Sometimes a refinery went down or something like that, or you know things like the Russian hackers in that pipeline, or you know sometimes there is a physical reason for tightening supply and not being able to get where it needs to go. Um, but uh, but by and large, you know there is no price fixing. That's just the com you know, the complete Democratic politicians enact policies that reduce the supply and then are surprised that prices go up and they always think there's some sort of evil conspiracy pulling the strings. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And of course, whenever energy prices go up, guess what other prices go up? Everything else, because you have to use yeah. energy. Everything, everything you buy has got to get to you somehow. Whether it's an Amazon delivery man or it needs to get to the grocery store shelf or you know, every single one of them has got to get somewhere. There's a variety of factors involved here, but Biden's policies are a huge factor. So if you've seen these stickers show up at your local gas pump where <laughs> it's him pointing to the total and saying, I did that, uh, to a large extent, that's right. It's not the only reason, but it's a big reason. And uh, reality will only allow you to get away with stupid things for so long. And uh, Joe Biden pretending that we can just scrap fossil fuels and get to renewables and there's an abundant, cheap supply of this that's uh, ready to go. Simply not true, no matter how much uh, he and AOC and whoever else want to believe it. All right, let's talk about something way less stressful than that, and that is getting a fantastic night's sleep on your new Giza Dream Sheets from My Pillow. Absolutely love the Giza Dream Sheets. They're soft, they're comfortable. No matter how many times you wash them, they still feel great, they still feel fresh, and like you just put them on for the first time. Can't recommend them highly enough. And now for a limited time, you can buy one and get one free on any set of Giza Dream Sheets when you use our promo code MARTINI at MyPillow.com. Imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own, guaranteed. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, which is grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. 
These sheets, long staple cotton, makes them ultra soft and breathable. The sheets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with both a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. For a limited time, you can buy one and get one free on all Giza Dream Sheets. Go to MyPillow.com, click the radio listener square, and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104 and find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Do not miss this sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim. Cancel culture is all around us, but most people don't write an autobiography that's essentially telling the world how horrible they are. Not only at their job, but in some ways, just a terrible person. Katie Couric uh, has already made some headlines about how she's treated different people that she worked with over the years, raising a number of eyebrows. But the one getting all the attention yesterday and today is her unilateral effort to alter the comments of the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg back in 2016 to protect her. The issue was, the uh, at the time, new... Uh, trend of kneeling during the national anthem the NFL, Colin Kaepernick and then others following uh, his example uh, during uh, the national anthem because of uh, police brutality and so other concerns like that. So here's the New York Post version of the story. Katie Couric has admitted that in a 2016 interview, she withheld Ruth Bader Ginsburg's harshest comments on kneeling during the anthem. The editing was done in an effort to quote-unquote protect the late Supreme Court justice, Couric wrote in her memoir, which was obtained by the Post. Uh, she felt that Ginsburg, who was 83 at the time of the interview, may not have totally gotten what Couric was asking her. Quote, she was elderly and probably didn't understand the question, Couric explained in the 500-page biography, in which no colleague, ex-boyfriend, or acquaintance is safe from the former Today Show host's brutal score-settling. While the interview that was eventually published by Yahoo did include Ginsburg saying that she believes that not standing during the national anthem as an act of protest is dumb and disrespectful, it did not include her strongest condemnations of the act, according to Couric. Here's what she actually said. Not standing for the anthem shows a, quote, contempt for a government that has made it possible for their parents and grandparents to live a decent life, which they probably could not have lived in the places they came from. As they became older, they realized this was youthful folly. And that's why education is important. I think it's a terrible thing to do, but I wouldn't lock a person up for doing it. I would point out how ridiculous it seems to me to do such an act. So, Jim, I didn't agree with Ruth Bader Ginsburg a lot. I certainly did on that issue. But when you read her opinions that came out well after this point uh, in 2016, as, as legally questionable as they might be, uh, it wasn't like she had lost a step mentally. She was plenty able to answer any question, and it's pretty clear from the full answer she knew exactly what she was talking about. Greg, when I see that quote from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I look back to about roughly about a year ago, and I realize uh, for all of my Democratic friends, all of my friends on the left who saw Ruth Bader Ginsburg as this wise mind, this inspirational leader, this woman who, who just had accumulated so much knowledge and could look at a complicated issue and just cut through the core and figure out the core principle at work and just tell it like it is. Guys, I see it now. You're right. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was really wise. I, it's just a shame that all of her best stuff was held behind closed doors. I, I completely misjudged her. You know, A um, little bit of sarcasm there, but there, there's two observations here. The first is 
you've heard the phrase, I'm shocked, but I'm not surprised. You know, we've seen allegations of Katie Couric uh, completely bowdlerizing and, and misinterpreting and editing uh, comments from gun, uh, gun rights supporters, Second Amendment supporters, and, and just chopping them into pieces to make them sound like they didn't know what they were talking about. And uh, uh, I don't think Couric ever apologized for that. And when she did, it was some sort of, well, I'm sorry, you feel that way sort of thing. So the idea of dishonesty from Katie Couric isn't unbelievably shocking. The fact this particular set of circumstances is pretty interesting and everyone's kind of like, oh, are they going to have to paint over all the RBG murals that are all across the country now that we find out that actually, no, she was pretty, uh, pretty darn harsh on people who were kneeling during the, uh, the national anthem. I, I, you know, I think the other clearing aspect of this is, look, we all knew Ruth Bader Ginsburg was getting up there in years. We saw the cases where she had like appeared to nod off during the State of the Union. And look, Greg, we've all listened to Obama's State of the Union. <laughs> Falling asleep, it's not the worst thing you could do. It's very understandable. We wanted to do that, too. Um, but the indication was she's really getting up there in years. Could she still handle the duties of the job? And look, you know, Joe Biden's president, Nancy Pelosi's a speaker. You know, people might generally wonder, hey, you know, uh, can these uh, septuagenarians and octogenarians handle these these sorts of duties? And in the case of uh, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the attitude of both, by the way, don't you, you didn't mention, you know, apparently she talked to David Brooks of the New York Times columnist, the somewhat right of center, formerly with the Weekly Standard, but also the guy who was so excited about Obama's suit pant crease um, <laughs> that, uh, that David was, well, she probably didn't either understand the question or she didn't know what she was talking about. Well, hold on a second. If somebody, if a woman doesn't know what she's talking about, doesn't know what she was asked. She's just she's kind of losing it. She's getting up. Well, then she shouldn't be on the Supreme Court. It, it's it's really as straightforward as that. If you don't trust her to answer a question and you feel like she's got to be protected from her own comments, the public can't really know what she really thinks because this would be bad for her reputation or because she might have the wrong ideas. That person does not belong on the Supreme Court. You know, the job of a journalist is not to be the reputational bodyguard. And I'm glad Katie Couric is telling us this now, but I, hope, I don't think she really understands how much she's admitting she has operated as a public relations person for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And the same thing with David Brooks. You know, it, it, this is what makes people think the media is all lie. The news is all lies. It's not all lies. But you look at this stuff and you start wondering, well, what else are they not telling us? Protect her from what? The online Democratic left-wing mob? I mean, what are you really protecting her well, from? Democrats don't like the idea that they disagree amongst each other. <laughs> it means, you know, life might be complicated. Might, might, life might be messy. Not all good people agree on the same things. Not all bad people all agree on this. And if Ruth Bader Ginsburg doesn't think that the people protesting the national anthem by taking a knee, if she thinks they're really wrong and that they're really foolish and they don't really understand what's going on here, well, then maybe everybody else who doesn't like them, maybe they're not as terrible as they think. Maybe, you know, because no, none of these people would say, oh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a terrible racist. Or at least maybe they, maybe they are. Maybe, maybe this is what it took and all of a sudden they're going to change their minds and say, oh, my God, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a terrible racist all this time. I have to throw away my action figure. <laughs> now she's going to get canceled posthumously. Uh, Jim, I, I assume this doesn't even need an answer. But if she had given a scathing uh, condemnation of police and a statement of support for Colin Kaepernick, you think she would have hacked that to pieces? Oh, good, good heavens. No. And the other flip side is if, you know, let's say Scalia does an interview with Katie Couric and says something controversial. You think you think Couric's going to you know, keep that to herself? <laughs> no. Uh, the bias only goes in one direction. That's how you know that the bias is real. Anyway, Jim, happy Thursday. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. 
Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks very much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Was looking at some of the comments that you have left in the last uh, few days. Thank you so much. Very, very kind comments. We appreciate those. They help us. Thank you also for the five-star ratings. Remember, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday, and please join us again tomorrow for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.